Hey everyone, welcome to Taking the Pulse, a healthcare podcast. I am Heather Hoops Matthews here with Nexon Pruitt Healthcare Attorney Matthew Roberts. Matthew, innovation, we have seen a lot of it uh, since the pandemic hit. What are you seeing in your legal practice that your clients are doing? Well, one of the few bright spots of the pandemic, Heather, was that has been that folks have innovated and tried to come up with new technologies to treat COVID-19. So we have new therapeutics that have come out, that continue to come out, so that our ability to treat COVID is, is more effective. Then there also have been uh, innovations in the way we are testing for COVID, the way we're trying to track COVID. Um, and I think these innovations will continue, but one of the great positives is we're responding in a way to this challenge, and it'll change the way we deal with pandemics in the future. Mm-hmm. And partnerships. Sure, a lot of partnerships. Yeah, which has been great from people who may, I think, have been semi-competitors or right. you know, in different spaces, I've seen them come together. Yeah, so. and we'll talk today, but the hospital industry has certainly come together and partnered with the hospital association to come up with better ways to address everybody's challenges. So yes. it's been refreshing to watch. And we will talk about that more. After this break, we're going to be joined by South Carolina healthcare leaders, Andy Hartung. He is with Self Regional Healthcare and Laura Hewitt with the South Carolina Hospital Association. We'll talk about how both organizations have responded to COVID and what's in the future coming up on Taking the Pulse. Welcome back, everyone. With us today is Self Regional Healthcare Assistant Vice President and Chief Information Officer Andy Hartung, along with South Carolina Hospital Association, or SCHA as we call it, Vice President of Workforce and Partner Engagement, Laura Hewitt. Thank you both for joining us today from different places. Thank you. Glad to be here. Glad to be here also. Thank you. Thank you. As leaders of a medical center and then a statewide healthcare association, Andy and Laura have been on the front lines of ensuring that South Carolina healthcare workers and systems have been safe and prepared during the pandemic. Andy and Laura, I know that that has been a big challenge, but Andy, you're now eight months into it. Um, tell us, how are things at Self going? And, you know, are you forecasting in the future what you see, anything that you see on the horizon? Yeah, thank you. First, I guess I would say that we're much more stable than we were eight months ago, um, thankfully. That's, that was the huge challenge when all this first started in working through that process just to be, um, just to be aware of what was ever-changing. Um, I think from Self Regional's perspective, we've done a fair amount of work to be more prepared and be ahead of the curve. Uh, as we look forward to the future, we, as all healthcare providers and all healthcare organizations, we are concerned about the coming months. Um, you, you hear in the news and just trending through whatever report you listen to or hear information on the increase in infection rate, as well as just the challenge of more and more, uh, more and more effort to try and, and to defeat the COVID disease. So. I think the coming months, we're, we're hopeful, but we're definitely watching closely on the next couple of weeks. That's probably the big piece of the holiday season coming on. Well, again, guys, thanks for doing this. Um, at the first thing that hit hospitals when the COVID uh, pandemic hit us was, do we have enough personal protective equipment? Do we have enough PPE? And we know hospitals like Self Regional partnered with the SCHA to try to figure that issue out. Could you talk a little bit about that partnership and what the SCHA and what hospitals did to work together? Laura, you could go ahead and start first, please. Yeah, sure. I'd be glad to. So 
Um, literally, I would say within two days of the pandemic really hitting the state and when um, things started to close down, um, we started fielding calls from suppliers, from brokers, from friends of a friend who has a friend who lives in the um, country of Colombia or Brazil or all these places, all these people who claimed that they had access to PPE. Um, it was amazing that these people literally came out of the woodwork and they, they had secret stashes of, of special stuff everywhere that for whatever reason, the hospitals couldn't get a hold of and their supply chain had been greatly disrupted. So we spent um, probably the first week to two weeks just fielding calls from all of these hundreds of people calling us telling us what items they had. And this is a new world for us that we were somewhat uncomfortable with this because how did we know what these people were telling us was real and legit? How do we know the quality of their products? We didn't really know that. And so fortunately we ended up being able to partner with SC bio, which is connected to the life sciences industry in the state, the department of commerce and the South Carolina manufacturing extension partnership. And we were able to form this strong partnership between those entities, um, connecting the life science industry with the business industry, with manufacturers in the state. And because the manufacturing folks know more about all this stuff, they were really able to help step in and help us vet with the vetting process for some of these, these items. And that eventually led to us standing up the emergency supply collaborative, which is the way that some many of the hospitals and either small volume providers and the states were able to access lists of, of legitimate people who had sources of, of PPE or other supplies that they could use when their supply chains were disrupted. Andy, how about you? Well, I would say, you know, that Laura and I never worked together before the, um, before all this started. And I'll be honest when my chief nursing officer, Linda Russell said, Hey, get in touch with Laura Hewitt at SDHA and ask her that question. I said, okay. And quickly, Laura became my go-to um, problem solver and source. And if, if nothing else, it was a trusted entity that I could contact and say, hey, here's my situation. Do you have any ideas? Do you have any thoughts? And maybe she didn't have immediate solutions for me, but it was another team working to try and solve a problem. And that was the biggest benefit is I just, I knew I could call Laura. I could email her and say, this is what happened today. Any ideas, any thoughts? And we would continue to work towards it. And sometimes we were able to solve it together. Sometimes she solved it for me. I solved it myself. But ultimately, it was just the trusted partnership that was hugely beneficial during this very critical time. That's really great to hear. I mean, because honestly, anything great is never done by yourself. It includes other people. I know that. But it, it sounds like you both sort of had an open mind to, we know this is different, it's important, and we're going to do what we have to do. Laura, you with a trade association, I mean, you guys, you have to show value to your members. Um, clearly, this is one way you were doing it, but in the heat of a pandemic, what else? What, what were some of the challenges and, and what were some of the opportunities, I guess, maybe? Um, well, when I was thinking about how to respond to some of these questions preparing for today, um, I guess there's three big ones that really stand out. And the first one is, how do we try to balance the public health interests of the state and working with state partners and the state public health entities, the governor's office and others with the um, economics of hospital operations and hospital survival, basically. So when we got to the period of time where um, because of the public health situation, you know, hospitals had to, had to shut down as elective or non-emergent procedures, which led to furloughs and 
obviously revenue shortfalls. Um, we knew that that was in the best interest probably of the state, but we knew the significant economic risk that that was to the hospital. So trying to navigate that and, and be there to both support the public health response in the state, but also be there to stand up the hospitals um, and support them, that, that was pretty critical. So that would be the biggest one. The, the second one kind of related to that is um, facing the ensuing challenges of all those people who did have their care delayed, whether um, their surgical procedures were elective or not emergent and they were um, delayed on purpose or some people were just fearful to come seek services for a while. And so now we fast forward to where we are now, they're in situations where their health conditions have deteriorated um, and now they are even more critically ill. So our hospitals are once again full and if they're full from all these other critically ill patients who may be delayed care uh, throughout the, the early part of the pandemic. And then the last one um, is this concept of mutual aid um, doesn't really work in a pandemic. So we, we talk a lot about mutual aid when we try to help support hospitals, uh, like in a hurricane or some other type of natural disaster. And that's the concept there is basically that you work together kind of as an industry to figure out how to source and move around staffing supplies, how to transfer patients, all that based on where the critical need is. But in this case, it was everywhere. It was all the hospitals in the state, it was all the hospitals in the country, basically. So that whole concept of mutual aid that we've relied on for so long, um, it, we couldn't really rely on that as a strategy going forward. So that took some adjusting to try to figure out, all right, that, if that's not going to work, then how do, we, kind of how do we move on from here and how do we continue to troubleshoot and problem solve and help the hospital? All of that, and you need to answer it today. Yeah, yes. You know. Right. Not a lot right. of time to prepare no. for all of that. No. Wow. Andy, so from an information technology and a materials management perspective, what have you and Self Regional learned about how to prepare for future pandemics and other healthcare emergencies based on what you've gone through the last eight months? So I would say that from a logistics standpoint or from a materials management perspective, you know, that was a new opportunity for me outside of IT. Um, I was a traditional IT guy doing the, doing the IT work and as part of the pandemic stepped into this role from a logistics perspective. And I was very fortunate. I had a really, really strong team of leaders that were experts in their field that helped me navigate through a lot of that work. Um, and I'm a planner by nature, and it doesn't always have to be 100% planned out, but certainly the, the, what I learned is from a materials management perspective, a logistics perspective, is during the pandemic, we, the, the heat of the pandemic, we would set a plan and work that plan, and that was every day. You just kind of built your plan, you worked the plan every day, and you had add-ins that came in throughout the day because scenarios came up that you didn't anticipate, um, but you just focused on that. And I think that's a big piece of it was having the right structure in place from a team perspective that you could actually know what you needed to tackle and then work towards that uh, moving forward. From an IT perspective, um, you know, that first week, we sent a lot of folks home to work. And that was, that's different for healthcare, that when you start talking about, hey, go ahead and pack up your monitors, keyboards, mouse, and computer, and call me when you get home, and we'll get you set up over the phone. Um, that's a different model when you think about billers and a lot of the back office resources that had to work from home. So we did that really quickly. Uh, one of the challenges we saw that was cybersecurity. And unfortunately, we see more of cybersecurity being an even bigger risk now than it had been previously, um, just as this continues to grow. Ultimately, we really couldn't prepare for, or you can't really prepare for every scenario. 
Um, but I think circling back, thinking about senior leadership itself, regional, um, they, they put together a focused team and said, here's a structure that we're going to prioritize this work. We're going to work collectively together. This was not a new concept for us as we've stood up emergency command centers during tests before. Um, but really the biggest piece was recognizing early on that we needed to be very focused, be very, uh, be very energized to solve the problems as soon as possible and just work as a team collectively to move through that. And that's probably how you, you have had so much success because you just recognized you had to do things differently, I think. Um, guys, there's been some talk, and this is a question for both of you, um, about domesticating PPE production in South Carolina so that, that the providers in the state will not be at risk for not being able to get access to PPE in another pandemic or statewide emergency. Um, what are your thoughts on this, and what kind of impact could domesticating PPE production have on South Carolina hospitals? Well, I think it was a huge issue, um, and it, it continues to be an issue. It's gotten better, fortunately, for the larger hospitals. The ones who were um, impacted probably most critically would have been the smaller hospitals or the smaller volume providers, like the dentists, um, independent physicians, ophthalmologists. Um, but also businesses, schools, daycares, anybody that needed access to PPE and didn't have pre-arranged um, GPO relationships or purchasing sources. So they didn't have any of those connections prior to, then they surely weren't going to be able to establish it in the middle of a major supply chain disruption. So those people really, um, they were hurt pretty badly. But then in addition to that, even the hospitals that had these very sophisticated GPO contracts, um, those didn't even prove to be very valuable because all of their supply chain comes from the Asian market, which were um, just totally disrupted. And so um, we got a lot of work to do in that area and lots of opportunities. And, it, and in fact, um, we were super fortunate that when all this stuff happened, because of our connection with SD Bio and the manufacturing folks, um, there were some suppliers and manufacturers and members of the life sciences industry in the state who retooled their complete business processes um, and their operations to be able to make stuff for hospitals, to be able to make face shields and masks and gowns and all types of things. And we wouldn't, in some cases, we wouldn't have made it had it not been for them. So we are so appreciative for the business owners and the life science leadership of the state to be able to stand up and do that. And in fact, um, Andy and I are going to be part of some conversations in the future, in the next couple of weeks, where we're going to figure out can we sustain some of those relationships and how do we do that? And how do we, how do we build more formal relationships between the hospitals that need a guaranteed source of supplies that are not coming from Asia? Um, how do we connect them with some of these individuals who have stood up these operations um, on an ongoing basis and so not just through the pandemic so that we can both meet the needs of the hospitals, but also continue to support these businesses that supported us through the pandemic. How about you, Andy? What do you think? I think, you know, the biggest lesson learned in Laura touched on this a little bit is you got to have a diverse supply chain. Um, you can't be tied to a single GPO because if, you know, I, I think one of the hardest conversations I had with a working through this process was, well, your allocation is going to be based on your prior six months and you're sitting there going, well, I wasn't in a pandemic six months ago. So how are you allocating based on that process and working through the supply chain? And if you look at, you know, would local in-state resources help? Absolutely. But at the same time, when I look at what we were getting supplied with internationally, 
you know, there was a broader impact than just it needed to be closer to home. You had worldwide demand. You had labor forces that were being impacted and not able to work. And the supply, the, the distribution network was just overwhelmed. Um, you know, that, I think those are some of the biggest pieces. Bringing product, um, domesticating PPE and bringing that back in the state, I think is a great option. I think it's one of the biggest, or one of, it's definitely a big piece of the puzzle. Um, from a healthcare perspective or healthcare system perspective, one of the challenges we'd have to work through is the product pricing. Um, obviously, you know, there's a reason that the market was overseas. And what we saw in a lot of our effort, and Laura talked a lot about this at the very beginning, that you know, there was people coming out of everywhere that had all these materials and all these supplies. The challenge was, was the price difference. Um, it was significant in what our material cost was, what we were used to, and what we were seeing. In, in, to make it a simple analogy, but understand, you know, isolation gowns that you would pay 50, 60, 70 cents for that was required for everybody treating a PPE patient went to $2 more an isolation gown, which isn't a big deal until you buy 40,000 of them. Um, and that's, that's one of the challenges. I would say that that's what I look forward to work with Laura on is really how do we understand domestication of PPE, but also price structures that are palatable for the small provider up to the largest provider. Good point. Our time has flown by. I'm going to wrap us up with one question. If you guys could just give me some quick thoughts on that for both of you, um, because I want to end on a high note here is that we have heard some good news recently about some vaccines. It, it looks like that progress, that process is progressing. Um, what roles will the hospitals and the hospital association play or what can you play you know, to help educate people and to help, as you noted, um, Andy, to get them to get their flu shot or their COVID vaccine. Uh, Laura, if we'd start with you and Andy, we'll end with you. Yeah, so that, that is um, uh, a hopeful thing and we are excited that those could be coming in the next several weeks. But we do know that there's probably going to be a lot of fear and uncertainty about the vaccine. I mean, we get it. These are new. Um, it's understandable and the science behind it is constantly changing, but it's getting better every day. So we've been spending a lot of time with DHEC and other state partners really talking about plans for the vaccine and, and when we're going to get them, how many are we going to get, who or what types of people should get those first, and, and figuring out how to distribute that so that it's fair um, and equitable. So I think our role is really going to be to help kind of advise the hospitals on some sort of standard methodology or consideration factors and helping them figure out who are the most critical employees who should, should receive the vaccine first. What does that timeline look like? And then giving the clinicians the information that they need to kind of educate their patients with the science of the vaccine and its efficacy and, and, and benefits. And, and really um, going back to what Andy said earlier about the flu shot and really um, stepping out there and, and, and encouraging people to do it and kind of being the role model for taking the vaccine. And Andy, I suppose that the hospital's already preparing for this. We are, and we're looking to SCHA and other, other agencies to help us understand what's the, the appropriate approach for distribution, what's the most critical risk in the areas we need to do that. We're also focused heavily on distribution. Um, you know, what, what is our system going to be, much like we did with COVID testing? You know, who anticipated to say, here comes 20,000 vaccines, and you need to be able to store them and get them distributed quickly because there's another batch coming in a month and how are you going to do that? So we're looking heavily at how do we process through our vaccination program? How do we expand that to the community and make it accessible? So as we do educate and create public awareness, it's got to be easy. 
It can't be a, a challenge for a patient to come get that or a community member to come get that. We've got to make it easy and convenient. Well, this pandemic is certainly stretching both of you, um, but it sounds like to the best. And I appreciate and value guys rising to the occasion, sharing some of the insight with us today. Um, Andy and Laura wish both the Hospital Association and Self Regional Healthcare much success in the coming months as you uh, continue to serve the citizens of our state. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks, guys. Thank, Thank you. We appreciate it. Matthew, the vaccines and who gets it first and how, and that right. is a lot to think about. Yeah, it's another big logistical, clinical, and communication strategy for the country. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so it'll be very important for folks to work together. And hopefully we will not have, we will have a more unified voice on how to do this and not have politics or personal thoughts about, you know, does vac do vaccines work in general? but we will educate folks on the benefit of this to not only themselves personally, but to the country. Right. And, and we'll, we'll, we'll be able to get ahead of this pandemic sometime in the coming months. Right. Well, I believe together we will because we have. And so I'm hopeful about that. But this has been an interesting topic today. We hope those of you who have tuned in and are watching and listening enjoyed learning more. And thank you for joining us today on this edition of Taking the Pulse. <laughs>